Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Stuart Childs is joined by labour researcher Marion Beecher and management consultant Nolik Heffernan to give insight into making dairy farms an attractive place to work. Oh, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to today's webinar. Uh, today, I'm delighted to be joined by Marion Beecher, who's a research officer in um, Chagas Moor Park. Marion's been in that position for the last three years. Uh, prior to that, she was the coordinator of the Fair Manager Programme, also in Moor Park. So um, Marion's well positioned in terms of uh, her experience from the coordinator role and in her current role as a research officer on labour to talk about dairy farm labour productivity and efficiency and also la- um, labour efficient technologies that can help people to be more efficient with their time. And we're also joined, thank for, thanks to the, the uh, good nature of the people at Mockerskillnet by Nolik Heffernan. So Nolik is a, an expert in workplace psychology uh, and focuses in particular on selection and retention of labour, um, stress management and organisational restructuring. Now that sounds like a serious uh, gig altogether, but organisational restructuring is matter, just a matter about changing things around really, Nolik, isn't it? So um, you're going to talk to us about that in a minute. Um, so, as I said, I mentioned Skillnet there. Makra Skillnet have joined up with us for the, the next, it's a, a four-part series. That's, it's not going to take place over four consecutive weeks. Now it's going to take place every second week for the next couple of weeks. And then we're going to, the first uh, Let's Talk area of 2021 is going to be uh, also on labour in relation to um, Nolig's focus on using a yearly planner to, to guide your time and to make better use of your time. So we're delighted to join up with uh, Makra to do this and we're delighted to have Nolig with us. And in case you think we were, we're not delighted to have you, Marion, we're delighted to have you too, but you're one of our own, obviously. So um, I'll hand over to you, Marion. You're going to discuss the how to make the industry, I suppose, the Nolig, you were quite clear in that you wanted it to be kind of the, the industry rather than just the dairy farm itself. Um, it's the whole principle and the whole approach to um, the, the dairy industry as opposed to just being on farm in particular. But So, um, Marion, you're going to discuss the, how we can make or the, the important things, I suppose, that, are, uh, that we can influence people at a very young age in terms of what, how they perceive the whole industry. Um, so I'll ask you to share your presentation there and uh, you can start away then. Perfect. Thanks, Stuart. Um, thanks very much for having me. Um, um, yeah, as, as Stuart said, um, I suppose these few slides are just supposed to design to look at making the industry in your farm an attractive place to work. So this is kind of built on research that we've done in the last few years, I suppose, looking outside of farming and looking at how, how people perceive um, dairy farming careers. Um, so I've got some slides in terms of what, how ag science students and students in secondary schools um, look on dairy farms and look on dairy farm careers. And then I suppose hopefully we have some, um, I suppose, tips and um, ways that farmers can, I suppose, address any concerns or, and benefit from uh, these, I suppose, views of secondary school students. So starting off, so um, we did two studies. So the first one was with 490 students who were in fifth year in school. Um, and we did a survey with those and just asked them some basic questions around what they thought of the dairy industry, what they thought of dairy farming, what they wanted from their careers. And we did a similar study then with 976 ag science students um, specifically studying ag science. So they were in fifth and sixth year. Um, and then we also did some focus groups, so looking at in-depth um, discussions with them in, in terms of their views. So I suppose there, there was good, there, there is good um, views out there in terms of um, dairy farming current secondary school students. So overall, I suppose the, the students were about six and, 16 and a half years old and they were averaging in, in fifth year in school. Um, and I suppose when we ask them what, what's important to them in terms of when they're choosing and looking at careers. Um, time off, job satisfaction and pay and income were all, um, I suppose, the three most, most important aspects for them um, as, a stu- as, a, as making their choice. And I suppose 
why we chose um, kind of fifth and sixth year students was because that's at the time when I suppose it's a really critical point that they're, they have these career aspirations and ideas and interests and they're really at that juncture of where they're deciding for themselves what they can, what they might aspire to, what their interests are and what their actually abilities are able to do. So they're really at that critical point in terms of deciding on what's, what's their ability and what road they're going to go down. Um, and as I said, some, and when we asked them what they thought of careers in dairy farming, there were some really positive aspects that came up. So, you know, a lot of them had seen that there was good income, you know, there was job security, there was independence, I suppose, owing to the, you know, being the owner operator of a lot of the businesses. Um, again, in terms of the outdoor healthy and good lifestyle, which is again, really, really positive. And I think particularly in the last, we'll say, six or eight months in terms of the coronavirus, I think that's even become even more apparent that how, you know, what a good lifestyle it is. And again, in terms of job security and the benefits of that. And then they also identified that they, it was an enjoyable and satisfying career. And then highlighting it as well, the variety of skills that you, that you actually have and learn as a dairy farmer. So um, I know Nolly would have mentioned before about a, an ad that she's seen over in Australia asking, you know, um, someone, a child, what their father does. And he says, oh, my dad's a, or my mother is a plumber. You know, she's an electrician. Um, she's all these are, they're all these sort of things as well as being a dairy farmer. So there's a huge variety of skills that are needed um, in, in being a dairy farmer. Um, and then also in terms of, you know, the huge aspect of working, working with animals was identified as a really positive aspect. Um, so those were the really positive aspects. And I suppose the other thing that in terms of what dairy farmers can take home for this and how they can maybe use this information is that 75% of them, so three quarters of that 490 group were interested in completing work experience on dairy farms. Um, so there is a, I suppose there's a market there, I suppose, for or, um, for dairy farmers to actually take on these students. Um, it might want to be for a week or two weeks, you know, during that work experience period, they mightn't be able to, you know, contribute massively in terms of the workload, but I suppose giving them a good experience and um, looking after them well, paying them well, um, and you may get them back in terms of like later on in their, in their studies in fifth year and sixth year um, at weekends or through a college um, and, and have them as a relief milker or someone that can contribute, I suppose, on a part-time basis to the business. But I suppose that that was tailored by the fact that it was more males than females were interested in completing work experience on dairy farms. So it still seemed to be quite a stereotypical job and it still seemed to be quite a, a male-dominated job. And I suppose we have a job of work to do there to really promote, I suppose, successful farm women as role models to um, to young people and particularly young women who may be interested in pursuing a career and are supposed to highlight supposed the opportunities that are out there regardless of your gender. Um, and we also found that the, you know, there was a positive influence of studying ag science. So we saw that if you're studying ag science, you're more likely, um, or there was a greater chance, I suppose, of them becoming interested in pursuing a career in the dairy farming or in the dairy industry. Um, so if we look at those, all right, um, we can see that adolescents who intend on agricultural related careers. So I suppose, as I said, there was a positive influence of studying ag science. Um, and out of the 400 or so students, um, 56 of those students um, who were studying ag science indicated that they were going to, on, to intend on doing an agricultural related career. So it could have been in the industry, it could have been in you know, advisory research um, or, or dairy farming itself. Um, and I suppose looking at those people, they were all studying ag science. 90% um, of them wanted to learn more about careers in dairy farming. Um, just over 60% of them were from a dairy farm. Um, again, large portion of them, 86% of this was the 56 were working on a dairy farm or had worked on a farm. Um, they were 100% outdoor oriented, so that means that they were interested in the outdoor lifestyle, they wanted to pursue a healthy career or a healthy lifestyle um, and enjoy being outdoors. Um, and three quarters of them had also considered a career in dairy farming. Um, and just under 70% of them said their parents would encourage them to pursue a career in dairy farming. So again, really, really positive. Um, you know, we can see that the, the positive influence of ag science has in terms of the views of dairy farming careers, but I suppose 
for me, it also highlights that if farmers are going to be attracting people to their dairy farmers to, to work, it's not necessarily going to be someone from um, a farming background or someone with an ag science related degree or someone with a, you know, a qualification in agriculture because out of that 490, only 56 of them had basically said that there were um, of the ag science students were going to go on and do a career in agriculture. So I think farmers are going to have to look outside of the traditional roots or the traditional people if they want people to come on and work on their farms. So then in that second study that we did with the 976 ag science students was specifically focused on ag science students. So this is more of a national, I suppose, representation or national viewpoint of ag science students themselves. Um, and, and we found that I suppose that ag science students well, they had a positive, looked like they may have had a more positive outlook in that, in that first study. Really, when we dug a bit deeper, they had an awful lot of positive things, but there was still quite a lot of negative um, uh, perceptions out there of, of dairy farming careers. So, you know, a lot of them view dairy career, farming careers negatively because of long hours and poor play, uh, poor pay, sorry. It was perceived to be as a physically demanding job, hard, really hard work, you know, poor life balance and, and limited extra financial award. And I suppose the other key thing is here is that parents, again, were, were hugely influential in terms of um, what career choice that they were going on to do. So we would have found that um, students felt that parents wanted them to do something better than themselves. Um, and generally, parents didn't want them doing the same careers as they were doing themselves, regardless of whether it was in agriculture or outside of agriculture. They didn't want them to be pursuing the, the same career as them um, because they felt that they had more opportunities and, and they wanted to better themselves. Um, so again, I suppose, look, there are some negative views out there. And I suppose this gives us, I suppose, an idea of where we need to work on and um, strategies we need to tackle. And also, I think, you know, highlighting again the positive positive aspects that we need to I suppose build on those and highlight those even more and address the negative issues and I suppose in some ways for me it's, it's kind of understandable that there's a lot of negative views out there and um, when we see you know particularly in the media and all these things where there's you know negative views and um negative articles in terms of you know farming being highlighted in terms of long hours poor pay um you know unsocial hours everything seems to be more negative and i suppose we need to really highlight the positive cases and i know martina gormley has been excellent in terms of um she's been running those focus farm groups to highlight you know that farming can be you know an enjoyable and easy lifestyle if it's done right um, and I suppose, again, we've done other work as well, where we looked at specifically time use studies on dairy farms. Um, and we, can, we found out that, you know, it is achievable to have a good work-life balance and still be a profitable um, enterprise. So two studies that we would have done um, here in Park would have been from 2018, uh, would have been 2015, 2016, with Justine Deming. Um, and again, averaging, you know, very reasonable work, work hours worked per week at 45 hours worked per week. So that's, you know, I think that's very comparable with any industry um, out there. So again, really, really positive in terms of that. And then I suppose another study that we would have done last year um, with Connor Hogan would have looked specifically at that spring period. And again, very reasonable hours worked, you know, nowhere near those 90 hours, um, you know, that's often been portrayed in the media um, per week. But in January to June, the average was 59 hours per, per week. Um, and I suppose then the other thing is in terms of, you know, there's huge flexibility within the farming. Dave, this is, this is what the study showed up or both those studies showed up in terms of looking at, you know, start times and finish times. Okay, you know, starting at seven, finishing at seven, it looks like quite a long day. Um, but then when we looked at specifically non-farming activities, so activities that was related not to the farming business, so either breaks or doing other work that was not related back to dairy farming, it was averaging at about three, four hours um, in that January to June period. And again, huge range between two you know, February to March, it was still averaging out almost a three and a half hours of non-farming activity within that 12 hour day. 
So when we look at that then at, in terms of the, the length of the actual working day, when we take off that non-farming activities, average day out at about eight, just over eight hours in the overall January to June period. And then in the February, March period, again, 8.7 hours of work during the day. So again, it, it, I think that's a huge you know, flexibility and a huge bonus and a huge thing that we need to, I suppose, you know, recognize and um, maybe promote a little bit more that, you know, there is flexibility within farming and within the working day to do things that is, you know, it's a bit harder to do in a nine to five job. And I suppose then just to bring it back in terms of if you were to go into a, a nine to five job, as we traditionally call them, the WRC guidelines say that for any, you know, breaks that you have for every um, four and a half hours work, sorry, you are entitled to a 15 minute break. Um, and then if you work over six hours in the day, you're entitled to a 30 minute break. Um, and that may include that first break. So again, if we bring that back to what we're seeing out on farm, you know, we're far exceeding that. So again, you know, a huge positive aspect, I think, um, that, and to realise that maybe not all farmers work long hours, but I suppose it's still just the, the perception out there. And I suppose we need to highlight these um, and, and a bit more. So then in terms of attracting people to a job on in dairy farming, I suppose, what are the things, you know, prospective employees do? And, and there was some good, really good work done by um, Suzanne Groom um, in 2019 and Eamon O'Flaherty um, just this year. Um, and basically, both of those studies would have highlighted that the five things are the five main things that people are looking for are regular hours, you know, set, start and finishing times. Um, and again, I think we, we just shown there that both of those things can be, um, you know, can be achieved on, on farms. They're looking for training. So I suppose, again, recognizing that even if you do have someone who is from a farm background, that regardless of their training or experience or education, you're going to need to, farmers need to give some level of instruction and, and training to anyone that comes into their farming business. Um, they're looking for a fair wage, which I think everybody is really any, and even farmers themselves are looking for a fair wage for themselves. Um, and then the other thing is good facilities. Now this came up not in terms of necessarily in terms of you know staff facilities which is important but just good facilities in terms of you know managing the cows the animals on the farm making sure you know adequate number of units on the in milking parlor you know enough cow feeding space enough cubicle space to making sure that the animals are well looked after and making it comfortable and um, making having good facilities i suppose meant that the the work was easier for the employees and it was more enjoyable and being able to see the animals, you know, being well looked after. Um, and also, I suppose, by having good facilities and, you know, and providing all these things to the animals, it almost indicates to the people that are coming into work in your business that if you look after your animals, well, you're going to look after me. Um, so I think those are, I suppose, five, for me, five key points that every farmer can go and manage themselves and, and work on themselves for their own business in terms of attracting people into their, into their business. Um, so that's all my slides, Stuart. So I, I don't know if you want to bring in Nolig. Um. Yeah, so Nolig, do you want to come in there? Hi Stuart, thanks. Hopefully my, uh, my audio is okay. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, super. Thank you very much, Marion. Some really excellent points there. Some really refreshing points because I suppose um, maybe between Marion and I, the work we do, we'd often hear about the negative aspects of the industry and we can't get good staff, we can't get people. Um, so it's really nice to see that, you know, the world doesn't think that negatively of dairy. Um, but we need to be very mindful that, you know, dairy farmers are the best ambassadors for the industry. They are brand ambassadors for the industry. And so the story they tell is really significant in the community, because if you don't know about farming, then how can you contradict that story? So it's really important that people are talking about it positively, that are engaging in it. And, and I echo Marion's comment about, particularly now in COVID, what a luxury to live on farm and to have that space and to have that opportunity to get out and to exercise and not be trapped in, you know, a postage stamp garden in the middle of town somewhere. So we need to really be mindful that there are wonderful things about dairy, that it's a great industry to be in. Um, of course, when you're stuck in it and you feel the world is against you and the weather is bad and milk price is low and you're being hit by a calf scour or whatever, all the negatives, it does wear you down. Of course it does. 
what we need to be mindful is it's a bit like the swan. You know, we need to look very poised above the water, even if we're paddling desperately underneath. So when we're looking about, you know, how we represent the industry, it is about putting that best foot forward. Um, and it's interesting about the, influ the influence of parents on, on children and, and what's that story being said at home? You know, is it saying you're so lucky you have the opportunity to go into dairy? Or is it saying don't be a fool like your parents, don't go into dairy? So we need to be very, very careful about what we are saying, because as as uh, parents, we are role models to our children. You know, they're listening and that and that kind of talk can chip away at, at a mentality. And um, I would certainly say in my in my family of four children, three of us wanted to go farming. So I think that's a great you know, my my other brother had no interest ever. So that was fine. But I think that's a great, a great, um, you know, my parents talked positively about, about farming so we need to be mindful of how we're speaking about it and so Marion just looking at some of the things you were looking at um I think it is when we look at the, the facilities and, and things you should have for your farm first and foremost as a farmer you are an employee of your farm so we're talking all the time about trying to get somebody into your farm and uh, the people management courses that I've been lucky enough to do over the past four years in, in with Chagas, with Makran, with some of the, the uh, processors, it's been really, really about self-awareness first. So looking after yourself first, because you once you bring an employee into your business, you are the role model. If they see you working all the time, will they feel obliged to, to work all the time as well? I think we're lost now, like there. Yeah. No, I'll just stop the video. It might help her signal. Yeah, um, I think no, like the point no, like was coming was starting to make there was the idea that, as I said, I was talking all about attracting people into the business, but I suppose really the first thing is you have to be, you have to be doing those things that you're doing first before you can bring somebody else into the business. So you have to be the role model, and and you know, ensuring that you're you're having regular hours yourself as a farmer, you know, you're working those set nine to five or, you know, those set hours uh, during the day um, making it better. And I think, like you're, you're back, I think you're on mute. You're yeah. back again, yeah. Yeah, I have no idea what happened there. I live in a kind of a black hole of reception for everything, so apologies. Okay. Um, sorry, Marion, I interrupted you. No, you're good. I was just picking up on your point about you know, like about the idea of, you know, the farmers are the role models for their own business and that they're the ones that have to be, I suppose, you know, doing all those things as I was talking about of, you know, working those regular hours, you know, having set start times and finish times themselves um, and, and showcasing the best themselves and, and you know, I suppose practicing what they preach really in, in, in terms of, you know, if that's what they're going to promise to the employee, well, then that's what they have to be doing themselves. Yeah, so, so we'd say in business, you know, you've got to walk the talk. You can't just talk about it. You've got to walk it as well. Um, and it, and that's, that's really valuable. But look, for no other reason than farmers should be looking after themselves. They are the most significant contributor in their own business. They are a huge, huge asset. You know, so they spend all this money investing in their cows, but actually the most important asset in any business are the people. And the farmer as the, as the owner, as the main operator, they're a huge, huge asset and they're the most significant stakeholder in the business. And so really should be looking after themselves. And, you know, getting, getting your day working, everybody does. So the ability to um, the ability to be able to enjoy what you're doing, you know, that is going to just really, really tell stories about yourself when, you know, other people are going to see that. So the ability to enjoy your job is going to come across really, really well. And you're going to role model that exactly as you say, Marion. Mm. Okay, so there's a question in there, um, just in relation to attracting people into a dairy farm. And one of the first questions that seems to be asked by an employee is, is there a farm accommodation available? So the person is asking should should they as a dairy farmer be providing accommodation what's your opinion on that no do you want to take that one first or will i uh marion go first I'll, I'll have a think yeah yeah <laughs> okay so i suppose from from my perspective um uh, and working with thinking back when i work with the students in terms of the farm manager program um Certainly providing accommodation can be a bonus because I suppose you're opening your, 
you're opening, you're widening your, your, your possibility of attracting different people in. So again, if you're not providing accommodation um, and I don't think there's one right or wrong way. I think, I don't think there is a right or wrong answer to it. Some people will, will provide accommodation and some people won't. But I suppose the positive aspect of providing accommodation is that you may be able to attract people who are not necessarily from your locality. Um, and Just really helping you to throw the net a bit wider, Marion, really, is it? Exactly, exactly. Um, and like there's, there's nothing wrong either with, you know, being able to maybe if, if they're not someone not, not from the locality and you're not providing accommodation, maybe you know someone, you, you'll know the locality a bit better. So maybe you'll be able to source other accommodation that, you know, that's in the, that's nearby um, that might be, you know, suitable. But I suppose by having the accommodation on your farm itself, it just, as I said, just casts that wet net a bit wider and, and makes it um, a little bit more attractive from somebody else. Now, I suppose the other point is that just because you're providing accommodation, you know, it doesn't mean that you're providing that, you know, rent-free by any means. You might be providing it at a reduced rate, but they're still, you know, it's not free accommodation either, I suppose. It's part of a package, though, as like as such, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That w- that would be my opinion on it. But um, again, I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. And some people will be in a position to provide accommodation; other farmers won't be. Yeah, I'd I'd add to that that um, you know often we think that it'd be much ne- it'd be much easier to to live near a large population, to live near town, and then you could attract lots of employees. But if you're living near a town or a large urban area, then actually you've got far more competition for employees. So um, being, being in a rural area, it can be a real advantage to, to get an employee onto your farm. Um, and then, of course, as Marion says, if you want to bring somebody from further afield, being able to, to provide some accommodation or just going out of your way to find good accommodation is really nice. So just saying, you know, I, I like Marion's point, you, you mightn't have the accommodation available, but you, you make sure that it's reasonable accommodation that you get. So maybe you vet it beforehand so that you're not sending them into some dive or somewhere that's completely overpriced. And rental market is, is tight. It's very, very tough, you know, so it's important um, that that rental market that you're you're ma- you're mindful of it and that you're giving your it just makes look it just adds it's something extra to add and make you more attractive than the next employer and and if you ha- if you can do that but if you can't look at the alternatives ha- use your imagination don't just write it off and say well I'm not going to think about it because I don't have the accommodation take the time to, to vet and it could be that you have a friend in town who's only delighted to rent out a room and it turns out to be a very nice um, arrangement but you won't know that unless you start to look around and investigate so there's also of course uh, tax implications in in the um, in, in providing accommodation so make sure sure you're very very clear on what the uh, tax obligations are and, and what what um, you're allowed to to do in terms of of um, providing accommodation and then uh, like I suppose just from the psychological point of view is there is there a, a downside to maybe having the accommodation on the farm that the person is is kind of on the farm all the time would it be is it a positive maybe if they're gone away from the farm and they're not working as opposed to actually living on the farm as well maybe I, I, Stuart, look, I, I would certainly agree with you because that would be my personality type. So we do a lot of personality typing when we do the, the people management. And, you know, if you like a bit of time on your own and a bit of space and look, not just for the employee, but for the employer, because, you know, it's a Sunday afternoon and you want to enjoy yourself and you see your employee wandering down to their accommodation, that can make you mindful of, well, actually, it's not really my home because somebody's watching me, you know. So it's really about understanding and having those conversations because it could be, one of the questions I'm asked a lot actually is about students having lunch in the car and and farmers feeling really badly that the student doesn't want to come into the kitchen. You need, you can't assume the student wants to come into the kitchen. You also can't assume they want to be stuck in the car. Just ask, have a conversation. Where would you prefer to have your lunch? Would you like, a, we, we can provide accommodation on farm. Is that something you'd be interested in? Rather than assuming that that's the package the person wants. And when they say, that's great, I'd love to take advantage of that. That's fine. Put some, ro- you know, put some boundaries in there. Say, when you're off, you're off. We don't expect to see you down the farm doing different things. Um, and also, you know, of course, rules of engagement in terms of looking after that property as well, just as they would with somebody else's property. So it's really about having the conversation. Never make assumptions about other people because we all think differently. We all have different preferences. What I tend to find 
um, and it might be a little bit of a generalization, but what I tend to find with the employees who have a dairy background who are particularly good herd managers, uh, they're usually a little bit more introverted. They're usually a little bit less um, outgoing, shall we say, in terms of not wanting to be around people all the time. So they actually value the opportunity to get away from the farm more rather than the person who needs to be around people all the time. So they're delighted to be on farm and have access to the farmer. So it's just really having that conversation and thinking about just because you'd like it that way doesn't mean the next person will have the conversation. Okay. So in terms of, uh, I suppose, what Marion outlined there, the positive influence that people can actually have. So what can people do to make sure that they have that positive influence on people? Do you think in, I'll go to you first, Marion, I suppose, to see what, from having looked at the, the research, I suppose, um, like, like you said, the perception that some people don't want their children to go into it. What can they change in order to, to change that mindset that they have? Do you, do you think, or is it worth looking into that? Like, or do you just have to take it that they've, they're committed to that position now and we're not going to be able to change them like for, forevermore? we don't want to have a negative influence on the next generation then yeah i i think it can be changed i think it goes back to I suppose the being the role model themselves and i think it's back to you know if you are having someone on your farm making sure that they have a good experience so doing the really basic things well so you know um and, and following you know supposed the 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 wrc guidelines in terms of employee law so you know you know providing a fair wage um for fair hours worked um, providing you know good time off um, reasonable time off um, you know breaks etc um, providing a contract um, you know at least minimum wage um, you know recording time hours you know doing the basic things well I suppose is, is a really good starting point because at least then it's showing respect for the people that are working on your farm regardless of whether it's just someone who's there um, for a few hours a week or whether it's a you know, work experience student making sure that they have a good experience on your farm is critical um, and the other I think really important thing um, that I would have seen with the students um, is actually you know the facilities for animals um, and making sure that their welfare has been looked after. So what I would have seen with, when I was working with students is that if they were, if a farmer was particularly tight in accommodation, which, you know, look, depending on the circumstances and the stage of the business, it, it, can, it can happen. Um, and, and students don't mind it once it's for a short term and, and they can understand why it's happening. But if there's no plans to change that, they, they they get pretty fed up because I suppose they're the ones that are lying in the queue because they're the ones that are seeing that they, because of the facilities being over pushed that, you know, cows aren't performing as well, either, you know, they're thin or they're getting mastitis and then they feel it's reflecting bad on them. Um, when in reality, they're probably doing everything that they can or a majority of the time, they're doing everything they can to make sure that the animal is being well looked after, but it's just the facilities that they're limited that they can't actually get the most out of them. Um, and then they're afraid that that, you know, the farmer or, or the owner will, you know, I suppose negatively um, assume that they're doing a bad job. Um, so, you know, doing the basic things well um, and making sure that people have an enjoyable and, 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 you know, that they're not being worked to the bone, I suppose, is, you know, it's not been slave labor that, you know, they're given a variety of jobs um, and they're, you know, learning about everything, every part of the business. And they're not just doing all the, you know, the manual labor that they're doing. And if you are doing manual labor, you know, the farmer's helping in with them um, and doing the basic things well and good facilities would be kind of my, my few things. Yeah, I suppose just before I go to you, Nolig, on that one, um, a point just to follow up on what you just said there, Marion. I know one of the farmers near Moor Park actually that we would deal with a good bit. Um, he's he had a guy working for him, and one day I called to him, and he said, "Oh, the, the student was gone off spreading fertilizer," and the way he put it was, he needs to listen to the DFM for a few hours as well. So. Um, you know, he wasn't, as you said, just doing all the donkey work, like he was actually going off spreading the fertilizer. He was able to listen to the radio while he was doing it. And that kept him happy. Like, so I thought it was an interesting perspective. And, and that guy has very little trouble getting people to be fair. Like, so um, it's an interesting point. I suppose, Nolly, what I'd like to maybe tease out with you maybe is, um, I, I suppose, where, where we've come from, obviously, is pre-2015. 
we were in a quota scenario, obviously, and there was a lot of restraint on farms and people have described as guys were farming with one arm tied behind their back, really, because they couldn't really realise the potential of their stock or anything like that. So, um, And then we've progressed and we've seen how the industry has progressed dramatically in the last uh, four to five years. Significant increase in milk output. Uh, herd size is now just in or around 100 on average. Huge proportion of herd of cows are in herds of 100 cows or, or more. And this psychological change that a farmer has to go through themselves to go from the scenario where they were doing all this work maybe with 70 or 80 cows on their own and now they have either partial employment or full employment maybe with 120 or 150 cows. What, what in your opinion, do people need to do to kind of get their own head in this right space to do the things that Marion is talking about there? Yeah, so... Um... Look, I, I started off uh, working with Chagas in 2014, so prior to the abolition of the quota, and I was talking about labour management. And so I've come across a lot of farmers um, across those, those six years. And I, I personally think the change is staggering. I think we see people with better quality of life, enjoying farming more, um, went through some very tough times. You know, we, we, I, I think it was Marion put up some slides some years ago in, in Positive Farmers um, showing that it's the dip in the middle. So it's you... you you embark on your, your expansion, you embark, embark on your change, and you're motivated, you're excited because it's new, it's different, and you, you, you believe in the future ahead. Um, and then you hit that middle patch where you begin to doubt yourself, the weather is, is rough, you know, things aren't going as well as you thought, and really psychologically you take a dip, and that happens across all change that you take on. So, um, and then you get out the other side and you're delighted with what you've done. What happens with a lot of people is they lose faith in the change process, and even though what they're trying to achieve, they know is better. They were a slick oil, a well-oiled machine. They were slick at doing it the way they were. Even if it was wrong, they were slick at doing the wrong thing. And so it's really easy to regress back into old habits. Um, and you have to have a superb vision and understanding of why you're doing all of this. So this, this concept of why keeps coming in. Why are you bringing in employees? Why are you expanding? And when you can answer that really succinctly, really clearly, why am I bringing in employees to give me a better quality of life, to allow me to shift my focus? You know, when you can really clarify why you're doing what you're doing, that will keep you going. Psychological point of view, I would see um, that 2016, 2017, people were, were really struggling. They were in that interim phase where maybe they didn't have the full facilities up yet or things weren't running as well as they wanted them to be. Um, then we went into that awful weather of 2018. So we had, a, you know, in that six years, there's been quite an, an amount of, of drama, I suppose, within, within dairy. But what I would see consistently across all sectors in any business is the understanding of the, if I know why I'm doing it, it's much easier to do it. And what has happened in terms of expansion and employees is people want, they're trying to bolt on employees. They're not actually thinking about what they need that employee for. And that makes it really difficult. So when you're bringing an employee into your business, you should slot them in like a jigsaw piece, not try to bolt them on. So a lot of, I was, I was with a group last year, with one of the processors and, they, and, a, and a guy said quite, quite a strong statement, every person in this room is struggling with their calving facilities and everybody nodded. And what it was, was they were using their prior, their previous calving facilities with their new herd size. So they were, it just grated, it didn't work properly. It wasn't fit for purpose. They were trying to use something that was already there. Everybody knows it'd be much easier to just wipe the entire building, uh, you know, all of the buildings in your, in your farm and start again if you're increasing your herd size rather than trying to make something that was built for a prior size fit. So that's the same with employees. You know, if you bolt them on rather than slot them in, it is going to grate, it is going to be difficult, and then you start to resent it. And then if you start to resent it, that comes across very, very quickly in your behavior to your employee. So I would really take the words that Marion used of respect the single most important thing we have in human relationship is respect. And respect is about understanding what your employee is doing in your business, treating them accordingly, looking after them, taking the time to understand that they are a person way before they were ever a labor unit. So we need to understand, you know, how are we interacting with them, what we need them for, and giving them clarity. So humans like, as, as the, the human race is phenomenally adaptable, but individuals resist change, so we need to make sure that we are giving them every possible, you're giving your employees every possible reason to perform well in your business. And that first and foremost starts with you. So if we see a really positive feedback loop in good management and good leadership, the employer will always say, what did I do wrong that prevented Stuart doing his job? 
Did I not give him the driving skills? Did I not give him the, the amount of t the appropriate support to learn? Did I not, you know, come back to Marion's? Have I got the system set up wrong that this is making it more difficult for this employee? So it's always a reflection where you're thinking back about how can I do it better? And you talked about the change in the dairy sector. One of the problems with the changes in the dairy sector is that while herds got bigger and, and we expanded, we retained old behaviours, we retained old habits. So we're still doing these long hours that we did when we were sitting on a, on a three-legged stool milking the cows by hand. We have taken that forward. We see it with health in the agricultural sector. Farmers are still eating the dinners they ate when they were out labouring heavily by hand and didn't have the technology they have now. So we've carried forward a lot of redundant habits because we've always done it that way and we've forgotten to, to address ourselves. So. You know, it's really about stepping back and saying the system has changed. Dairy in Ireland is different. Herd sizes are bigger. Am I appropriately different to match those differences? Or have I brought forward the habits of my parents, the habits of my grandparents that actually no longer work anymore? And one of the ones that, you know, I hear stories all the time, but something that really hit, hit home with me one day was I was in South, the South Wales and one of the advisors there said that uh, that that particular morning, the AI technician had come onto our farm and she said hello. And he said, I've been to five farms today and you're the first person to say hello to me. So not even saying hello to the person who comes into your yard to help you. You know, those things are dreadful. Just being respectful enough to say hello. And that's what we need to see with employees as well. Don't take them for granted. Listen to them, talk to them, engage with them, just like you would love anybody to do with you. So there's a really simple thing when we look at an employment, regardless of the size of your business. You know, I know large businesses who are not nice employers. I know very small, successful businesses that are superb employers. So we need to, we need to be mindful that it comes down to how you treat and engage with people and also how you respect yourself as well. Okay, so I suppose uh, the, the, the don't ask anybody to do anything that you're not willing to do yourself is an important thing as well. I, I agree with that, but I will challenge Marion on one point in that. If you're employing somebody to do the job, let them do the job. Showing willing is absolutely, I totally agree with Marion, show willing. Let them know you do it. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it. And you certainly shouldn't find yourself doing a job you have paid somebody else to do. Because then you're paying two people in the business, including yourself, and you're the most expensive person in the business. So, and it is frustrating. I've employed you, Stuart, to milk my cows, and here I am taking over from you. It is frustrating. Let me do the job you're allowing me to do. But only, only if I have trained Stuart, you know, sufficiently to do that job. If I assume Stuart can do a job and I haven't given him the training, I actually create paralysis. So you're going to be terrified to do the job in case you do it wrong. So we need to have that training involved. And Marion highlighted that really, really heavily. Training is important. If you lived, if you live where you, if you grew up where you work, you've been farming that farm for, since you were two. Okay, now that's, that's a dramatic statement. By the time you're 18, you have 16 years work experience on your business when other people are just going into the workplace. So you have a huge amount of knowledge. You don't even know what you know. And this is chronic in dairy far in farming, in agriculture. It is a huge, huge issue in agriculture because if I'm absolutely entrenched in my knowledge of something, then I'm very intolerant when you don't pick it up when I grunt at you. You know, Stuart, why didn't you get that? That's really simple. Yes, it's simple to me because I've been doing it for 40 years. So we need to be very mindful of how we're interacting and extracting that information and bringing somebody on that journey with us. And so what we find with employers is they find, they think, well, I'll just get in a fella for a bit of work and find that they have to communicate, they have to express themselves, and then they start to really, really panic. So I come back to that why. Why are you bringing somebody in? And I will absolutely support Marion. Prepare yourself, put the research in there, put the groundwork in, so that when you bring that employee in, we have this thing, it's a, it's a cognitive error, so it's a thinking error that says it's a confirmation bias. And if you give me the wrong first impression, you cannot erode that first impression. And I will start seeking confirming evidence. So I come to work for Stuart. He's awful to me on the first day because he's had a bad phone call with the bank manager. Not because he's a bad person, but because he's had a bad experience that morning. And he's dismissive to me when I didn't understand what he meant about moving a cow from A to B. And so he says something negative to me. And I take that as my first impression of Stuart. I will now, from every day on, look for confirming evidence that my conclusion was correct. So I will always spot what Stuart does wrong rather than what he does well. 
I will go out of my way to see the negative rather than to find the positive. And it is a very, very human thing to do because if there's something negative in my environment, that is a threat and I will continue to look for it. We are much better at remembering negatives than positives because from a, a, from a hardwiring point of view, from a neurological point of view, we need to know what the dangers are in our environment in order to survive. It is a purely survival of the fittest concept. It's not just about looking after yourself physically. Psychologically, we need to look after ourselves. So back in the day when we were out, you know, out on the plains and the savannas and, and lions were hunting us and we were you know, running into caves, etc., there was a physical threat. The equivalent nowadays is bullying in the workplace. It's, it's, it's just bad feedback. That's the equivalent of a lion attacking you. So we need to be very careful that the first impression that any single person has coming into our business is positive. And I mean any single person, because what is the vet saying about your business? Is the vet saying to people, don't work for him, he's a tyrant? What is the lorry driver saying to, to other people? Don't go in there, it's chaotic. God, I can't get the milk out in the morning without having to move 50 million wires and X, Y, Z. You know, we need to understand that every single person who passes through your business is a brand ambassador and is selling your story outside of the gate. So all you can do is control what you do with inside the farm gate so that at least, it, even if, if, they're not, if they're not talking about you, fine, but do your absolute best to make sure that when they do talk about you, it's positive. Uh, that's very interesting. Go on, sorry, Mary. Yeah, sorry, no, just to pick up, pick up on a couple of points, not like that you were saying about, and I totally agree that, you know, you shouldn't be paying two people to do the one job, if it includes yes. yourself, because it's showing off that you, you're, you would be prepared to do that if that person wasn't there. And I suppose we know from the research, I suppose, that, you know, anyone working, you know, they kind of crave three basic things. So they crave mastery. So that means, you know, getting better or developing more skills, becoming better at the job. Um, autonomy so you know given as you said you know Stuart your job is to milk the cows so once I've given you enough training once I've given you the skills or the master you can go off and do that yourself so you've got the autonomy to do that and then a purpose so you know the reason Stuart you're milking the cows is so that we can get as much milk out of them and so that we, you know you've got wages to pay or you've got money for to pay yourself at the end of the day so those are kind of the three things that I, I think as well that a farmer can do uh, for anyone that comes into their business is give them, you know, give them mastery. So give them the training and skills to develop themselves, give them autonomy and give them a purpose to be there. Is that a big mistake that we're making? So in that, um, and we're probably guilty of it ourselves within our own organization that we bring people in and expect them to hit the ground running all the time in a lot of cases like that. We actually don't. So if, if you do bring somebody in, um, there is also often a perception that uh, people know how to, like, because you stood in a milking parlor that you know how to milk a cow doesn't, and that, that may be the case, but it may not be the case for the milking parlor that you're standing in right now, because my parlor is different to my neighbor's parlor, to, and it's different to the next guy further up the road again. So, like, what kind of time uh, are, should we be considering has to be invested in people to actually kind of get them up to speed like so say somebody arrives on a monday for the first time um you show them how to milk the cows are you gone monday evening expecting that they're going to be able to do the job <laughs> no I, I think, your mastery <laughs> yeah that's a really good point and I, I i think um it really depends on the person um, that you're bringing into the business and, and their skill level and their comfort so some people might be you know show them once and they'll they'll certain they might be able to master it in the after, in the evening time but you still I, I still think even if you think that they're capable enough of doing it that you still wouldn't you know you might check in on them you mightn't be there for the full milking or you might start them off in the evening and and, and then check up on them later I, I think it really depends on the person that you're bringing into their business some people will need more time than others and I suppose it's you know talking I suppose I can't overemphasize as well the whole idea of talking and communication with that person and seeing you know do you understand that or you know asking are you comfortable with it or just keep talking and keep those two lines of communication open and not just assuming that because you've shown them once or twice that they know exactly what they're doing um, and then making them feel comfortable enough that you know even if they are on their own even if it's after a week or two weeks or, or whatever that length of time is where they're on their own doing that job that they still feel comfortable enough to ring you up and say, actually, John, I'm a bit stuck here, or can you show me something else? Again, um, it, it's really important to make, make sure both people feel comfortable in terms of asking questions and, and checking. Um, but Nolik, you might have 
something to come in on there in terms of how long should that training period yeah, be? It's, so, so one of the things that we focus a lot on and one of the models I would use, it's kind of my American Express card, I don't leave home without it, is um, situational leadership theory. And it's, uh, we use it, we do it a lot in the people management courses and get people to think about where they are as an employer, where they are in different skills. And so, look, we're going to be kindest to the non-English, non-dairy background speaker because we can't make any assumptions. We're probably going to be toughest on our own children because we're making huge assumptions about them. We will make massive assumptions about somebody who has experience. So you've milked 50 million cows in Missouri, New Zealand and Wicklow. Uh, you're, of course you can milk my cows. And Stuart, you could have, you were talking about, you know, the dairies are different along the road you live. You know, you could have absolutely identical parlors, but how you manage your cows, the pre your preference for how that has happened, the timing, how you like to disinfect, how you like to do all of those things, that is idiosyncratic to your farm. So I might have an expertise in milking, but I am a novice to your farm. And I, the best, the best, we, I was going through that, that model um, with a group last year, and there was a girl on it, she's a New Zealander and she's um, a relief milker. So you can imagine a very valuable lady. And she, we were looking at the, the model and she just said, I had that exact experience last week. I have huge amount of experience. I went into a farm. On the first day, the, farm milked, the farmer milked the cow. On the first milking, the farmer milked the cows and let me shadow him. So I watched how he did it in his parlor. The next day, I milked the cows and he shadowed me. So he's still there watching what I'm doing. The following day, he said, I'm going to be about, I'm happy for you to milk the cows, but I'll be in and out to make sure you're okay and to check on you. So that's day three. Day four, he said, I am totally confident that you know what you're doing in my system. I'm happy to let you get on with it. Are you happy for me to do that? Yeah, that's great. Brilliant. It took four days for them to, to just be up. So he walks away hugely confident that his cows are being milked properly. And she's in there milking the cows properly with autonomy not being interfered with because she has the trust and respect of her employer. Now that's exceptional. That is exceptional employment. And she's going to stay with that farmer because why wouldn't you? What happens everywhere else is, well, you've made the 50 million cows, go and milk my, go and milk my cows. Now you make a mistake and all of a sudden the farmer's thinking, well, they might have milked 50 million cows, but they're not so, you know, they're not all that, are they? And we get that negative. And now all of a sudden we have a confirmation bias at work where the farmer is now looking for other reasons why that person isn't as beautiful as they think they were. They're C they might look good on CV, but they're not as brilliant in the farm, you know. So we get that negative stuff going on. So Marion's absolutely right. It depends on the learning capacity of the individual. It depends on your teaching skills. It depends on the experience that they brought in. By the way, just because somebody is absolutely fantastic at one skill, we cannot assume they are at the next skill. Well, you're brilliant at milking cows, go and measure my grass. You know, I could be a super at cows, but really struggle with grass measurement. So we can't make assumptions that because I can speak French, I'm going to be able to do maths. We mustn't do that. That's called a leadership style. So if somebody's very good at what they're doing, let them get on with it. If somebody needs help and support, you know, you've got to give them help and support. You've got to acknowledge that there's a point in that learning phase that isn't so much about technical ability. It's more about my emotional belief in what I'm doing. There's a psychological aspect of needing support. That's not prissy holding hands and thinking, oh God, I don't want to deal with that. That's too, that's too soft skills. It's actually just saying, how are you getting on? Maybe showing distance traveled. Look, last week, Marion, you never saw a cow. And this week you're doing half the milking on your own. That's fantastic. You're doing really well and showing the person where they've come from and where they're going to get to. So it really is the, the beauty of the model of situational leadership theory is it takes every single person as a new situation and it takes every task as a new situation. So what it does is it says, who are you? What's your competence in relation to this? This is Marion. She's very good at milking. She's not so good at something else. Because she's good at milking, I let her get on milking. Because she's not a good at record keeping, I will help her. It's simple, it's straightforward, and it is learnable. And that is the key thing about people management skills. People management skills, not black art, it's not wizardry, it's not witchcraft. It is a learnable skill. And we know that from farming. There are some people who have had cows all their lives and you still would say that they're poor animal husbandry. There's some people who, you know, they're doing it all their lives and they're not good at it. There are other people who are just natural at it. That's the same in people management skills, but we can still learn the concept. You do not need to be charismatic. You do not need to have a wonderful personality to be a very, very good employer.
That's interesting. Um, I suppose the, I think coming back to what you were saying, I think was it Marion, um, I just, uh, it just came up in conversation with, a, with one of the clients there recently and he said how his, his son is on the bus home from school and uh, I think he's in fourth year at the moment and uh, just how people are perceived uh, and how certain farmers are perceived and he said in a matter of minutes it was a case of oh don't work for him he's he's terrible to pay or oh, don't work for him he's awful to work for just so it's exactly like you said it's perception is is everything um the i suppose should we really actually be thinking so nolig uh, and, and marion um that when somebody comes onto the farm that we're for the first time that we actually have to literally walk through the process of doing what we do on our farm, even though it might seem quite straightforward to us, as you said, in your in our own heads, we've been doing it for 16 years. We know where the Riverfield is, um, but we need to be able, well, okay, we don't necessarily have to walk down to show them the Riverfield, but the map is obviously going to play a big role in showing them where, where we want them to go. But the processes that we engage in on our farm, should we actually be looking at walking people through them as opposed to telling them communicating badly to them what we want them to do and then create, as I, I can't remember the term that you've used for it there, Nolik, but creating that situation where we get the negative uh, feedback from them straight away or we get a negative situation occurring and putting our mind into a bad place from this, the get-go with that person then. Can I just take that, Marion? Um, just there on that, that, that model that I'm speaking about, the situation leadership theory, the first section of that is telling. And we have to assume that every employee that comes into your business wants to do a good job. You need to believe that. If you don't believe that, you're on the back foot straight away. That no employee comes into your business to do a bad job. So you have to believe that from the beginning. And they're enthusiastic. So we've got this enthusiastic beginner who wants to make a good impression. It's a big interest for them to do the job well as it is for you to have them to do the job well. But you can put a huge amount of things in place there. So... You put in all your standard operating procedures, making them as simple as possible. When we look at learning, it's more complicated than this, but we can say that there, there are three categories of learning. There's visual, there's audio, and there's kinesthetic. Now, if you tell me to do something, I can pretty much do it straight away. My sister's purely visual. She needs pictures and drawings. The next person, and quite often in farming, people who are attracted to farming are hands-on. Look, I don't know what you're talking about till you let me have a go. Can I just give it a go? And you can hear the way people are speaking. So you should be saturating at least all three of those. At a minimum, that's what you should be doing. And that involves, you know what? You're talking about going down to the river fields and there's a special way to go down to the river field. Have a, have a little video saying, this is the way I go down to the river field to avoid the worst parts of the, the farm so I don't get stuck in a bog somewhere. You know, you're, you're actually explaining things. You're, why not walk the field? It's a short term, you know, why not walk the farm? It's a short term pain for a huge long term gain. Take the time to bring the person around your business. You know, no farm in, in Ireland is too big to walk your employees around quite simply the first day, pointing things out and different stuff. Have the maps available. So why do we have standard operating procedures? It's not to remove autonomy or imagination in the business. It's to have an external memory system so that in the absence of the person who knows what should be done, there is still a memory of that um, in the business. So Stuart isn't in today. I can go and check my standard operating procedure to make. I'm, I'm just doubting myself a little bit today. I'm a bit tired. I'm a little bit. I had a bit of a bad time yesterday with a kicking cow, for example. I'm just doubting myself. Stuart isn't here. I can go through the standard operating procedure. So we're doing that. And, and that should be done far in advance of ever bringing in your employees. Everybody should be doing that now because in a new system, you should be creating new behaviors. And the best way to create new behaviors is to become self-aware of your current behaviors. So it's actually one of the, th the um, examples they do in the UK, AHDB use in the UK, is they get farmers to video themselves milking the cows and to see where the waste is. You know, and farmers will often say, oh God, I keep doing that because I did that 20 years ago when Maribel was in the milking parlor and she used to do something right, she used to do something strange, you know. So actually becoming aware of yourself, asking yourself why. Why, why, when I'm walking to the river field, why do I always go this way? Is that the best way to go? Or, you know, is there an easier way to go? And just questioning and challenging yourself. So we put a huge amount of thought and information in place, photographs, tagging, labels. And when we write standard operating procedures really well, my God, we get rid of a lot of redundant behaviors. They're an absolutely quality, it's a quality exercise to get rid of redundant behaviors, behaviors you have brought forward from the previous, previous system that you've worked in. So put a lot of thought and effort into it. Get your little videos. You know, we've got so much smart technology now. Get the smart technology to work for your business. 
videos, clips. Um, you can refer them to YouTube videos that you like, have maps, have them in multiple places. So don't make, if you want somebody to do the job properly, you give them the least path of resistance. If I have to go in, if I have to take off my dirty wellies, my overalls, I've got to unlock the door, I've got to log into the computer, I've got to do all of these things, plus you're going to kill me because I drag in some, some slurry onto, the, onto your, your office seat, I'm going to just take the shortcut because it's easier. So if I need information, you leave the information available where the task is being carried out. You know, a CMT, you're doing your milk test, have that available in the parlor. Don't make it difficult for me to do that right. Make it as e remove resistance to doing the job correctly. And that starts before you've ever had an employee in your business. Okay, that's excellent. No, like, um, oh, I, we're going to have to finish up. Um, so just two more things that I, I probably want to, one, one question for you, no, like, I suppose, ultimately, this might be seen as a negative thing to say now, but ultimately there is a time going to come when you're going to have to take someone on for not doing something right or not doing something the way you want it done. How do you approach that situation so that you, you can't just roar at them like, although people probably do, but uh, obviously that's not a good starting point. Yeah, it's a fantastic question. And the most common question I'm asked, it's about accountability. And accountability, you know, um, okay, how do we create accountability? You need to set standards from day one. You need to say how your cows are milked and you need to milk your cows that way and you need to ensure that everybody milks their cows that way. And so, and you always intervene. So people say, oh, I don't want to be holding them up. I don't want to be catching them up. I don't want to say negative things. I don't want to be seen as the bully. I don't want to be seen as the tyrant. You cannot punish somebody for doing something they didn't know they shouldn't do. Um, just to, I suppose, to summarize it, I suppose the way I, I look at it, I was thinking about this this morning, and just the good experience that I've had in, in my own lifetime is, is something that sticks in my own head. So I milked a lot of cows through the family leaf when I was a young, young lad, um, from the time I was 16 onwards, all the way through college and so forth. But I did a particular amount of work for two farmers in particular in the local area, and a really good experience for, for working with them, learned a lot from them. And I suppose the way I just summarise how good an experience I had with, the, with that is both those farmers were at my wedding 10 years ago when I got married. Like, so I still have a very good relationship with those people. And I think that's the point that you're trying to make, Marion, isn't it? That people need to get that really good uh, experience from being on the farm with, with a person and develop that relationship. And as you said, it, like I, I know of people where they've milked cows, they, they don't have anything to do with farming currently now, but they, they still maybe go back every weekend and milk cows for a person if they're in need of someone to, to cover for them and so forth. And it's just about developing that that uh, relationship and that rapport and that you see everybody that comes in the gate as a, as a potential person that could be some use to you at some point in time from a labor point of view always like and that they go away with that good experience and that they're you're not going to have, they're not going to be on the school bus uh saying oh don't go near that place like like Nolig has said that it's complicated to work there or he's a tyrant and so forth and is that that's pretty much kind of summing up the research isn't it that's exactly it and, and there is a study that would show that people don't leave jobs people leave people so what that's saying is if you, if you have a bad experience, basically you're going to leave the people because you're not getting on with them. Um, but equally, if you have a good experience and you're getting on well with the people, you're less likely to leave your job. So that's why, that's the main reason people leave their jobs is because of the people within the business. So you, yeah, it's perfect summary, Stuart. Okay. So just, uh, I suppose, just a few points before we finish up. Um, again, as I said, this is the first in the four-part series that we're doing with Nolig and, and Marion. Um, we're, going to, we're going to skip the labour side of things next week. I'm going to hopefully be talking to Lauren Shalou and Katie Starsmore in relation to the work that they're doing on methane emissions and cows in Moorpark. The following week, then, we're going to come back to Marion and uh, she's going to be talking to Aidan Ahern from County Waterford in relation to labour efficiency and how Aidan has made changes to some of his systems to try and tighten up in terms of time spent working on the farm. Um, and then... Again, we'll take another break from the labour for a week again. And then the following week after that, we're going to look uh, at managing your time with Nolig and Marion again. So managing your time and the time of your employees, we'll say, on the farm to get the maximum from them and that you're not constantly tied to the farm. And the last part of this series then is going to be related to using the yearly planner, which is going to tie in with that session in relation to using your time efficiently. Uh, and as I said, that's going to be the first webinar of 2021 because it's a very timely uh, point to do that at. 
Um, just two other pieces then to remind you of. So today's webinar is recorded, Podrick edited, and it'll be available for people to look back at later. Emma Louise will uh, release it as a, a, a bonus podcast as well next week for people to listen back to as well. And then the last thing is that uh, myself and Patrick going, my uh, colleague in, in the Midlands, uh, who's focusing on dairy expansion and uh, does a lot of work with new entrants. We're going to run a special series there uh, entitled Thinking About Dairy and Getting the Basics Right. It's a four-part series that's going to start next Monday, uh, and, which is the 9th of November at 11 a.m. And it's going to go through um, a new entrant case study talking to two, a new entrant that's in the, in the game with the last seven years and a guy that's starting next year. The second session is going to look at understanding EBI and sourcing stock. Uh, the third session is going to look at grazing infrastructure and reseeding plans. And the final uh, part of it in December is going to look at farmyard infrastructure design and building a capital budget. Now, you will have to register for that separately to today's webinar. Um, so we'll, I'll be sending it out. It'll be online there sometime today if you people are interested. I know it's kind of targeted at new entrants, but there's a lot of good information going to come from it for uh, anybody that's farming. So we'd encourage you that if you're interested in some of that, that you can sign up for that for next Monday as well. So I'd just uh, like to finish up by thanking um, Marion for her time and Nolly Galso. Again, just to uh, reference Skillnet, and I will be sending an email to all people that are on the call today to get you to fill out a little form for Makra just to kind of follow up on who's who's uh, been participating in the calls and so forth. And there'll be, it'll actually tie in with the yearly planner piece uh, in January. We're hoping that we'll be able to send you out a copy of the yearly planner so that when uh, Nolig is doing that piece in January, it'll make more sense that you'll have a, a yearly planner to hand to work with. So look, I'd like to thank you all for your engagement and uh, for, for joining in today. And we look forward to seeing you again in two weeks time in relation to the labor and next week again for our meeting aspect. So thanks again, Marion. Thanks Nolig. And uh, take care everybody in the meantime. That's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series. And don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey, and thanks for listening.